Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamper and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite Beach Break. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Dubai, oh, pay-per-views, premium bloody live events. We have interviews, roundtables. Table discussions and a round of the week complete. We're going to make a quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by the Dadly Boys to review AEW Dynamite Beach Break and a show that was all over the shop, Sage. Um, I think I wanted to like the main event so much more because I was on such a high from the first like forty-five minutes, but it never reached that crescendo again. Crawled very, very slowly and methodically towards an eight for me, but I'm going to revise that down to seven point five. Um, one of the best things I've ever seen on Dynamite, though, so you can't really begrudge it. That opener was just bonkers, wasn't it? I thought it was absolutely phenomenal. I can't wait to talk about why, and for that reason, we should go to Michael Hamflick, <laughs> Debbie Downer first. Because, uh, <laughs> it's weird, right, because there's an exceptional segment on this Dynamite, like absolutely exceptional, elite tier, fittingly, um, pro wrestling, the exact reason you tune into it. Um, and yet we've kind of talked about how it is to be spoiled now by all the wrestling that have an AEW, especially to have like the standards that it sets. I thought this was a really middling. I wasn't as moved by the opener, and I think that maybe set the tone for a show that I was willing to get better that didn't, save for the exceptional segment. Um, I'd, yeah, I'd, a lot of the. Do you know what it was? None of this was like as egregiously bad as the Dynamite we were all particularly critical of a few weeks ago. And it didn't even make some of the mistakes that I felt like a lot of Dynamites recently mm-hmm. had been making. I just thought it was pretty boring. Like, I, I, there was a, the crowd were hot, and I don't think they were being... The, the opener is obviously going to be like the source of debate here, I guess. Like, I thought it was still great. I, I just didn't... I wasn't necessarily, like, head over heels with it, as, like, a lot of people seem to have been. But throughout the duration of the show, um, I don't know everything between these like really meaty bits that clearly meant loads, it just felt like they were dogging it a bit. There was nothing that I thought was like even approaching good beyond these like these two specific checkpoints. The main event seems to be drawing a bit of debate as well. Like often you're very kind to shows by introducing them as divisive. Mm. I think this was the definition of divisive. <laughs> and not just because like like me and Sidney were gonna disagree over a couple of things, because it just did feel like the sort of show where 
a lot of people will probably leave immensely happy with mm. the AW. They saw this is the vision of the AW they want. I was like really underwhelmed by like large, large portions of a two-hour show. I don't know what rating I'd give this show. Because I went in, off the back of the podcast, just a little bit worried, like you said, about this show of like, if, if things go wrong, this is going to go really off the rails. So I don't know. I you know, wake up this morning, I put it on, and I go, here we go then. And then that opener happens, and I was like, well, that was phenomenal. And then it almost affected my viewing of other parts of this show where I was like, eh, it's not the opener though, is it? And then like the main event, I really enjoyed. And I said yesterday, and we'll get into it when we get there, they're going to have to do a lot to sell me on act- on not even buying an Orange Cassidy win, wanting an Orange Cassidy win. I know he's the baby face and blah, blah, blah. But I was sat here yesterday, arms folded, going, you should not be beating your number one contender ahead of him challenging for the world title in five weeks or whatever it is. And then at the end of the show, I'll tell you this right now, I'll admit this. So it's running a little bit late this morning. So I watched everything up to the break in the uh, in the main event, dropped Anne Louise off at work, drove here and was like, oh, I won't come in and walk into the office because I might get it spoiled or I might, you know, put people off. So I watched it in my car <laughs> and I genuinely, I think someone saw me. Because the moment in the, the moment before the big spot... Your barber yeah. going, baby! <laughs> <laughs> baby! Everyone's all elite! Everyone's all elite! Everyone is all elite! <laughs> it was and, a, and a cheer went up in the room. <laughs> <laughs> there was a bit where I was actively shouting in my car, go on then! Right? <laughs> Which I'll explain when we get to it. So I, I, I might have to go through this review with you guys and your analytical uh, knowledge of all of this. Prowess. To, yeah, to, <laughs> to work out how on earth I actually feel about it. In fact, let's just dive straight into it. Let's start with the ladder match, as you said, Sitch. Uh, TNT Championship on the line. Cody Rhodes versus Sammy Guevara. Uh, very amicable to start off with. We started, by the way. I like this as a touch. Um, they did, I think, like a 10-minute beforehand thing on YouTube we can see the entrances because when we watch the show it's literally Cody and Sammy already stood in the ring um and yeah a handshake very respectful Cody being a bit of a knobhead early on just sort of taunting shoving him off being like eh, got the better of you you know I've beaten you all these times basically no one can really establish an advantage early on though um then suddenly uh, they they go to the outside Guevara hits Cody with a, a pump kick sends him into the barricade they fight into the crowd um Cody's high-fiving people, which allows Guevara to recover. He hits a cutter on the floor. He uh, grabs a ladder. Uh, he twats Cody with it um, and then sets it up. Cody gets in there. Cody uh, has set up another ladder, which we'll come into it a lot later on. Um, but Cody gets involved, stops Cody, uh, stops Sammy Guevara climbing, bump heads, double down. Then they both climb the ladder, uh, but it's been moved slightly, so they can't reach the belts. So Cody superplexes Sammy Guevara from the top of the ladder to the floor in a wild spot to take us to commercial. When we come back, um, Cody's doing that. It's a spot that looks worse than a huge bump or a cutter or a crossroads off the top of the ladder, which is uh, Sammy Vora getting dropped onto the little slats that, like, mm. make sure the ladder's properly up. Prob- properly up. It's an inverted ladder, basically. Uh, and he puts a, a figure four on um, Sammy with a ladder involved in it as well. Uh, he beats Guevara down. Then Guevara fires up, makes a comeback, clotheslines. He goes for a springboard, and Cody just chucks a ladder at him. Uh, Cody climbs, but Guevara climbs his own ladder, and this is the moment where he leaps off the second ladder, grabs Cody, and hits him with a cutter 
it was just astonishing that, um, you know, a spot fest to a certain extent, but still, I'm all right with spots like that, um, as, long, as long as they're all right, I suppose. Uh, Guevara traps Cody under the ladder, starts climbing it, and then Cody powers out and pushes Guevara, and he falls off the ladder and crashes over the ropes. Um, then they fight on separate ladders, and Cody grabs uh, Sammy Guevara and crossroads him off them onto the mat. Uh, and it looks like Cody's going to climb and grab them both, but Guevara gets up there, cuts him off, and then they're, they're both hanging off that bar that's got both belts on, and they eventually both fall off and fall down to the floor. Then on the outside, Cody's got Guevara's leg in a ladder again, and Fuego del Sol comes out and says, Taking a bit far, this mate. Uh, and Cody goes, Right, pal driver for you. Um, that, <laughs> that allows Sammy Guevara to recover. He hits a springboard, Fosbury flop, a GTH on the floor. And then he puts Cody on that ladder I mentioned earlier that Cody had set up himself. It's bridged between the apron and the barricade. Um, and then he sets up another ladder, goes up it, sent on bomb onto Cody. Uh, the ladder does not break, which arguably, often with table spots, makes it look even. Better slash a lot more painful for me. Um, Guevara goes up top, but Cody's recovered. Uh, they're fighting on top of the ladder in the ring right next to the belts. So uh, they batter each other with forearms. Then Guevara grabs the uh, the bar with the belts on, hits Cody with the belts. He falls off. Sammy Guevara grabs the two belts. He is now officially, Michael Sidgwick, your TNT champion. I thought this was phenomenal. I absolutely loved it. What I loved most about it, what I loved about it a lot is the sheer contrast between this match and the very first match that ever took place on Dynamite, where it was so evident that Sammy Guevara was a young, flashy heel who was nowhere near as experienced or as good as Cody in the main event spot or in such a featured spot. And Cody Rhodes beat him with a roll-up because he used his wrestling acumen to beat him. The tone of this was so much different. You could see the characters, like, informed by two years of booking. Like, the dynamic was completely different, and two years of really patient long-term investment arrived at a completely different feel around these two men. So I kind of loved it before it even started. And what I loved as well is that these two men are really close in real life. They're close friends. You could see that they're on each other's, like... Cody appears on Sammy's vlog. Mm -hmm. Clearly, they've established, like, a relationship. And I felt all of it particularly in the first five minutes of the match, Cody was being a dick as per. <laughs> Sammy Guevara was not taken kindly to it. And in a match with such breathtaking spots, which I thought were arrived at tremendously, which I'll get to imminently, one of my favorite moments of it simply was the force with which Cody just smashed him over the barricade. And then when he did the high fives, he did the cutter. But if you noticed, Cody just shoved him over as if to say, no, you little prick. <laughs> You're not up to my level. I don't care what belt you think you've got. I beat you for it. Just the way he just shoved him over the barricade, I was just, every single bit of movement, like nothing felt like they were just doing something to arrive at a spot. There was a feeling behind everything. There was an exploration of their actual relationship across, this is a very pretentious thing to say, the extended universe, which includes a TV show and a vlog. But he <laughs> still got all of it. Um, you could tell that they were like, such a, an amazing competitive edge to all of this that just felt completely authentic. The great spots were so great because bar one, which was the uh, dive off a very tall ladder onto the one that didn't break, the other three major hitters who arrived at when they were trying to pursue victory by climbing the ladder. So you had the cutter when they were both trying to win. You had that incredible, incredible cutter spot. Again, just to reiterate how great it was because Cody's timing on that bump was absolute expert. Mm -hmm. like absolute like excellence of execution stuff from Cody Rhodes. Um, the 
Superplex. The Superplex was outstanding. The um, Crossroads was great. I thought Sammy Guevara had broken his goddamn nose. <laughs> it was tremendous. Even something that felt like a Cody idea. And what I mean by that is a bit of a stupid one. <laughs> I had to do it on a ladder. At first, I'm thinking, pointless that. And then I thought, oh, he can't actually reverse the pressure because he's trapped inside a ladder. That's actually great. And not only can he not reverse the pressure from this modification of this spot, you're weakening his leg and limiting his ability to climb. Mm -hmm. I thought this was phenomenal. What I love most about it as well, that Charlton going down the line here to the origins of this very championship. Cody Rhodes wins the matches that people piss and moan that he wins to arrive at matches like this. Mm -hmm. This guy adds prestige. This guy adds a big match aura when he wants to do it to everything that he does. I will close by saying that we were pondering Michael Hamflet's brilliant question last week. Is Cody a clever guy with dumb tendencies or a dumb guy who can fool you into thinking he's clever? Like, I'll never make my mind up on this because this was so smartly constructed. I'm thinking, how did the same guy work this layout of a match and do that promo last week? <laughs> yeah, it's a fair point. It's, it's perhaps the intrinsic Cody match, this. Because I can't disagree objectively with a single thing Cedric, Cedric just said there. And yet, subjectively, I disagree with absolutely all of it. Like, it's so much about the feeling yeah. you're supposed to get from a match like this. And I just saw and witnessed everything Cedric described and felt none of it. Like, I enjoyed this match at a distance. Like, uh, it's definitely something in the dead end of ladder matches, which is a, a wrestling problem, Yeah, you know. Um, Andy said the same, didn't he, this morning? It's, this has been an issue for years, and we're getting, what, like the face of the revolution, multi-man, five weeks' time, and that's going to suffer from this, and so on and so on and so on. Um, wrestling can't get out of its own way with ladder matches. And this was substantially better than a lot of ladder matches we've been fed over the last few years. It really was, and you could tell. Um, I didn't feel like they were loyal enough to the structure of a ladder match. I did feel like I was watching too many spots that were spots sick. Cannot fault the execution, particularly of the delayed suplex and the cutter. Those two specifically. Sammy Guevara, the cutter, Sammy Guevara has a habit now, is developing a pretty cool habit of spots that instantly need to go into video packages and credit sequences. Hmm, the dive yeah. onto MJF and this. Um, are the sort of things that will live way longer in the memory than, well, the majority of his first run with the TNT title, quite honestly. Um, and that matters just as much now. It, it really does. Like, the currency of wrestling is changing to the point where um, it is the cutter, let's be honest. Like, the other spots, as great as they were within the body of the match, it is the cutter that's going to stick. Um, it's as important to generate something resembling an edge Jeff Hardy spear in a match like this as much as just having a great match. So I can appreciate that on one hand and then just feel like I was watching a disjointed collection of spots. The other issue I took with this, and I'm glad Sidgwick brought up the point of Cody always winning the matches that needle folk because the, the defeats have to matter so much more. I credited Cody yesterday on the preview as maybe standing up in the room and saying, Guevara needs somebody to be um, that's definitely, definitely going to generate booze and generate cheers for him. If we're going to heat this story, this Sammy story back up, he needs me because they're not going to go with me. I kind of think they did. I thought Cody worked such a virtuoso performance here that for the night, a lot of people forgot what it was they didn't like about Cody Rhodes <laughs> and kind of got into him all over again because he's absolutely got this in his locker sometimes. Um, I've been a critic of plenty about Cody, but it's rarely about the work when he shines this bright. You know, he was excellent here. And... Not at his fault at all, but almost too good for me. I was wowed by Cody far more than I was taken on Sammy Guevara's hero's journey, like I was, for example, when he beat Miro. Really different mm. vibes. Sammy Guevara's up there holding up the two belts, 
and it's the Hogan Warrior thing. I'm way more interested in on the other guy. I want to look more at Cody's reaction to that loss than I do Sammy Guevara's celebration of the win. And I don't know if that's the fault of the construction of the match, the sheer star power that Cody's got. But if I felt they were aiming for... Put it like this, when Cody, when Cody Rhodes got on one knee for Darby Allen, I bought that. Like, this has been a story. You couldn't beat me. You've done it. Here's the belt. Young pad one. None of that here. Like, I didn't get any of that here. And whether or not I just didn't feel that chemistry that Sidgwick described between the two of them as friends, or whether or not Cody's a weird guy that is generating this very unique aura around him that maybe other stars will struggle to get. I wasn't getting pillar vibes from Sammy. I can say this now because they've talked this into existence. You can rank these performances on where they stand as pillars. MJF and Darby Allen at the last pay-per-view being a perfect example of that. I don't know. I, there wasn't, I'm not an advocate for slow climbing spots, but I didn't get anywhere near enough. I thought this did veer into the indulgence rather than the, how are you going to get the belt? Like, and, uh, But the exact spots that Sidgwick described were great examples. The cutter was a sublime example of how to do something awesome. Again, why the Jeff Edge comparison is apt, because Jeff's trying to pull them belts down and Edge needs to stop him. That's not just something for the flash bulbs, you know? And the cutter, I think, was the sublime example of how they brought those two things together. There wasn't enough of that in the rest of the match for me. And fascinating to know your guys' thoughts about this as well, because, uh, like you say, I can see both sides of the argument. I'm leaning towards more Sidgwick's take. I think, on this I think I'm in the minority. That was like I like checked the comments after I finished watching Dynamite, and mm. most people like it had the vibe of Dave going five on it, maybe four and three. But I was just, I was, I was nowhere near that. And it's, I wouldn't go it's five fine. on it because it's not one of the best matches I've ever seen. I'd certainly go four and a half, four, yeah. maybe four and three. I'd probably go four, four, four and a half. I think, that's, I think that's fair. I really enjoyed this. I have to say as well, like I sometimes feel like we shouldn't need to. Our listeners are an educated, classy lot. But none of this criticism is at the expense of, I can see the risks they're taking. I think it's amazing what they do with their bodies. You know, just sometimes I feel, you feel like yeah, yeah, the dick yeah, if you yeah. don't just say like, wow, they really gave themselves to this. So like, I don't want to not mention that. Like huge respect to the pair of them for some of the some of the stuff that that ladder not breaking. I think it's such oh. a better choice than it breaking. Yeah, like Instant I don't I'd, swelling on I'm both of them. Kind of bored of the balsa wood ladder, so I kind of like that for the pain of it more than it just collapsing underneath his body. But I like thanks for your work. It just didn't do it for me. I'm glad it did it for loads of others. Mm. Uh, it was followed by a uh, it's, it's beach break. Time to go to the beach. Which is covered in snow because it's bloody Cleveland. Uh, there is uh, Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs and a very cold Tony Schiavone. Um, Hobbs wants Dante Martin to, to run their match back and say bit of a fluke sort of thing. Uh, and Starks calls out Jay Lethal for an FTW Championship match on next week's Rampage, I think he said. February 4th. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tony Schiavone doesn't care because he thinks his hand's frozen to the microphone. <laughs> that's, a, that's a rough tape in that, isn't it? It was, but I just think it was... Like, basically, the two beach break events have been themed around Orange Cassidy, and that's the name of his finisher. And if it's in January, that's when the storyline demands <laughs> that beach break happened, it's fine. It was just them having a little bit of fun at the expense of the fact that they are doing beach break in Cleveland in mm. January. But there's still a beach. I love very small creative choices that the wrestlers are allowed to make. So you've got Tony Schiavone's hand sticking to the microphone, while Powerhouse Hobbs has a fur coat over dungarees and nothing else. What a legend. Like, I, I love little things like that that characters are permitted to do to get them over more. So that's their... Like, I'm going to make a weird comparison, but that's, um, you just know if his tits bouncing on XT 2.0 that you would just wouldn't get on a Raw Smackdown. Fun stuff that you can have a bit of fun with the next day. In the words of MJF, the best big man in the game, bar none. 
<laughs> Love that. Uh, speaking of which, they're in Cleveland, and it's time for local hero Wardlow to come out and murder some poor local competitors. Elijah Dean and Jake Alexander uh, on this one. He got a great reaction, uh, as you would expect here. Uh, and he wrecked these dudes, uh, power bombs them. I think there's about five power bombs in total, uh, including one on top of another. Um, and then he popped plants them on top of each other uh, and pins both of them. Sean Spears, giddy as he is, wants to twat him with a chair and Wardlow Ward goes, yeah, chill out a little bit. And they uh, they celebrate on the ramp and we think, ooh, could it be tonight? Straightforward squash this situation. Yeah, he looked awesome and he got a reaction. I'd like to think he would have got somewhere, something like approaching this reaction if it happened to not be in his hometown because it's been sort of going up and up and up the reaction, but obviously he's going to get a great one in Cleveland. I could watch Wardlow do this every single week. Yep. I thought, the, if I'm honest, I think the best thing about this was the segment that followed later on because I really appreciated the false foreshadow. Like that, was a, that was a really nice mm. touch that elevated a Wardlow. I wouldn't say I'm tired of Wardlow squashes, but it elevated something that was just a nice fixture of dynamite into something like narratively more impressive. Uh, I thought this show was going brilliantly well at this point. And then we got the Inner Circle versus Daniel Garcia and 2.0. Nothing against Santana Ortiz, Daniel Garcia, or 2.0 in this match. But this was <laughs> not for me, in my opinion. Um, I wanted to write down the notes on this match, but all the attention was was on Chris Jericho. The story was, of course, Santana Ortiz not happy with him. Um, and all they do is, is tagging each other every time. You know, Jericho wanted to start the match off. And I think either Santana Ortiz goes, nah, I'll take this, tags him. Steps in, and uh, there was a point where one of them, one of Proud and Powerful, got knocked off the apron. And there's Jericho. Tag me, tag me, tag me. No bollocks to you. Well, I'll wait till my mate recovers and just slumps himself on the apron and tag him instead. Um, Santana at one point did run wild. Uh, him and Ortiz hit an assisted cutter and a powerbomb lariat. All looked great, all this. Um, but Chris Jericho. Uh, jumps off the apron. He's potentially walking out of this match because he's so furious with Santana and Ortiz and this disrespect they are showing him. Uh, But then he gets involved. 2.0 trying to hit their finisher. He breaks it up. And then as um, uh, Matt Lee is getting chucked into the ropes, he hits him with the Judas effect. He staggers back. Santana hits him with the power driver. The inner circle win. They don't split. And the story must continue, Hamlet. God, I thought this was like exhausting, fake hack, carny nonsense. Like I really well, did. What? I re- what really think. I really did. Like, of course, it was a fine match. Oh, well worked, mechanically sound. Like, who gives a toss about that? When the whole point is that you're supposed to be invested in this big angle that hangs over the whole thing, because that's what this was a presentation of. I, like, I couldn't have been less interested by the end. Real amdram performances from everybody involved. Like the. We pick on Jericho, right, and rightfully so a lot of the time. I think, like, this was on Proud and Powerful, too. Like, they they are all in on this fairly rubbish thing, and they were required to do some acting, and I bought, I didn't buy it any more than I bought Chris Jericho's over-egging of his part. Um, I want to give Chris Jericho a bit of credit. doesn't get much. I think he's looking in decent nick. Uh, like, he's, I, I found him to be, we know the criticisms he gets, and let's just diplomatically say that I feel like he's maybe addressing some of them criticisms and that's pretty cool like that's a guy that clearly wants to give as much as he can to this rather than sometimes when it kind of looks like he's he should be giving more like you, you kind of he's 50, it's amazing he's 50 and he does this you know but that's going to come with certain caveats and he needs to apply himself to some of them but as an angle I just thought this was like you know when you're watching WWE and there's wrestlers that will do their best to commit to the bit but the bit 
is like really forced and they're not quite talented enough to make it feel anything less than forced. That was this. And what's worse is that 2.0 can lose all the time. And there are very few acts in AEW because of the ranking systems that, that like can literally, like you can't lose all the time. Otherwise you're always going to be like bottom feeders. 2.0 always can and always remain over and can sell anything and can come out the next week like nothing ever happened. I like to think that Daniel Garcia is eventually going to have to have a word and be like, guys, I'm analysing every single one of my defeats on Twitter and all I'm doing is analysing defeats on Twitter. <laughs> this can't carry on. And like, that's pretty cool. Like eventually Daniel Garcia is going to rip himself away from these losers and like get on his own path. And that, like, I think that's pretty cool that you can use them to tell this story. Um, if it was anybody else on the opposite end of this trios match, it would have been an embarrassment that they were defeated by these complete losers that can't just figure it out. Had the stench of, like, and I don't want to drag them because it's making me realise how much the tag division misses them at the top, but it had the stench of Young Bucks melodrama. AEW can't do this stuff anywhere near as well as they think they can. Nobody should. WWE can't do it, so I don't know why AEW would bother. Like, tiring. I found this, like, tiring, like, Amdram stuff. Yesterday, the whole point was, whoa, they're really accelerating this inner circle thing. Like, somehow they can try to accelerate it and drag it out. I'm bored by all of it. I felt little for this. I'm going to be a little bit kinder and a little bit harsher. <laughs> because <laughs> where Hamlet said it was a fine match mechanically and all the rest of it, like, deeply familiar sets of faces wrestling again after they've already had the... M- many of the people involved have already had the big wild fight on Rampage, which was... Way better than this. This being a singles match, couldn't hope to be as exciting as that. So it's just like, oh, it's a bit familiar, but I understand why they're doing this because they've got a story to tell that involves doing a trios match. You know, it makes sense because these guys are feuding, et cetera, et cetera. If the idea was they want people to think Santana and Ortiz are the next breakout babyface tag team act and Chris Jericho shouldn't be getting in their way anymore, I don't want to say they underperformed in the spot because I don't think it was actively bad, but there are just little moments where Ortiz and Santana do that spot where Ortiz like sends Santana via roll into a double cutter and it always just looks so labored and a little bit awkward every single time they do it. It didn't look like a team that was firing on all cylinders, which is what they believe themselves to be and just kind of don't need Jericho anymore. I didn't hate the story beat that Chris Jericho either wants to prove that he's still got something to offer Santana and Ortiz's development, or maybe he kind of, his big bruised ego had to get the win for them. There's a bit of subtlety and nuance to what really is in the minds of everyone involved in the storyline. So I didn't hate the beat, but the match I just thought was, ugh. Uh, so we, it, was, it was good, obviously. Yeah. Solid, but you know, you know my feelings on the word solid. There are times when AEW is tarred with the can they coexist brush when they're actually attempting to tell a story, mm-hmm. this veered way too much to can they coexist beyond anything else. A uh, couple of things to set up. Title matches came next. One I loved, one uh, not so much. Um, it was a video package with uh, Lance Archer and Jake Roberts, and they're talking about the world champion Hangman Page, and they announced that in two weeks, he's going to have not just a match for the world title, but a Texas death match, and he's... Basically said, I'm going to kill him. Uh, and my favourite part of this, this is the one I liked, by the way, was Hangman Page finding out mid-promo, presumably, it's going to be a Texas death match. And him saying, what? But then saying he's going to bring hell with him and firing up and responding to the challenge. Yeah, I like this. I understand a very valid critique that they are absolutely overdoing gimmick matches. I understand that, but at the same time, looking at Archer's performance against Kazarian, like, it needs a shortcut to feel big, ultimately. 
and they've and arrived. He's worldwide, world, blah, blah, blah. He's won titles before in AEW in a Texas Death Match. Yes, so yes, like, great point. It's another little wrinkle that's nice. Also, I hate last man standing matches. They're using Texas Death as their version of it because I preceded it. Um, but it was like a sprint between him and Moxley, so I'm expecting them to get it right again. Look, it needs a shortcut, and they've got one. It doesn't. It's not very good that they are doing it after a match on which stipulation excess kind of swamped the show in itself. But, you know, it needs must, I think, to get the best match possible, ultimately. Um, And I liked the poetic line that Hangman Page delivered. It was very good. The what was really bold, I think, for them to saddle their champion with that. Intended? Yeah, is now. And remind people that he's the... Remind people that he's the... um, Baby face that is constantly going to grapple with his confidence. I know a lot of people didn't like that in the the nature of the draw with Danielson, but I think that's like one of the best features of the character, to be honest. A, a, a feature, not a bug. Yes. In the case of Hangman Page. But because I've got nothing else to add, I want to throw it to you because you shared some concerns, Will Vaughan, about Hangman Page in general before we had a big old laugh at the what when you came in this morning about his presence as champion. And was that sort of addressed in this vignette or... A little bit. I talked about it on this and this on the news. We had a Twitter question about it on the news is why we were talking about it. Because someone's... Uh, actually, I'll find, it, I'll find who it was because I always say, well, someone sent me this question and I'm sorry, I forgot what your name is. So, the question came from, on Twitter, um, Michael, who uh, said he's... He I know what I just did. I just asked. He's starting to feel like... Uh, <laughs> you wanker. <laughs> starting to feel like... Uh, he's the most... Third or fourth most important thing on the show. And I, th- I think that's fair enough. I think there needs to be more prominence of the world champion. But then I'm a complete hypocrite because later on we had a world champion on this show and I was like, what's the bloody point of that promo aside from winding up the locals? So um, I don't know how how you fix this problem, but I do feel to a certain extent. But then again, I'm a hypocrite because I think, oh yeah, the Brian Danielson stuff, which dominated an hour and a half of you know TV, was absolutely sensational. I, I, I have no... I'm unwavering in my... Confidence as as Hangman Page's world champion. I just don't. I feel like the bits where the weeks where they go, hey, we'll just put him in a silly little vignette or whatever, just really diminish him. And yes, this show is always going to be all about the lights out match and the ladder match and Punk and MJF. But I just, he's a bloody world champion. Let's talk a little bit more about him. Let it play out. Yes, fair. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Let it play out. Like, He's going to do the main event at Revolution. Mm. They are going to sell Revolution, and specifically that main event, once the Archer thing's kind of done with. Harking your mind back to the full gear match, I thought it was phenomenal. A lot of people thought it was merely great. Regardless, it had every bit of emotional heft in the celebration and the crowning of a new top, top guy. Which is to state that the Kenny Omega title reign absolutely worked Yeah, on that basis. There were moments throughout the Kenny Omega title reign, where people said the exact same thing. It's just the way AEW books, and in the end, they've never botched a single peak of a title reign in this company yet. And I don't, therefore, feel it's worth critiquing what they're doing in the meantime, because it's all about ebbs and flows and peaks and drops. Yeah, because I, I, I'll i say this, I disagreed when people said, when they brought back Hangman Page, when he went off to, I think his, his missus had a baby, if I'm not mistaken, and when he came back and people were like, oh, we've all forgotten about what he was like. I was like, I haven't forgotten what he was like. I've yeah. completely straight back on the tracks. So, yeah. On the I'm, horse. On the horse, indeed. So, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this, but... I, I do wonder sometimes on the promo thing. You know, you're saying about, oh, we'll just like, toss out a quick ham on page promo tonight. I wonder if 
because Omega was one thing. Hangman Page is maybe being a little bit damned by comparison because a Moxley promo never felt like it was a, just, oh, we'll toss out a quick Moxley promo. It was often the highlight yeah. of the whole show. And it was the same 30, 40 seconds of him with the belt slung over his shoulder talking. But I, so I wonder if he's damned a little bit. When Moxley wasn't working, his promo was one of the highlights of the show. And maybe he's damned ever so slightly by that comparison because he doesn't quite, in my opinion, he doesn't quite command the moment as much as John Moxley does and did. Plus, maybe it's just the the rot that's setting in my brain, courtesy of WWE, that I don't perceive someone as champion unless they come out with the title over their shoulder and talk for 10 minutes. Welcome well, to AEW Dynamite! That's your fault, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've just got to relearn how to understand wrestling again. Uh, one thing I didn't like uh, was what came next. It was a uh, simple setting up of uh, the tag match that's going to go down on Rampage for the uh, AEW tag team titles, uh, which is apparently going to be Jurassic Express... A private party who inexplicably are somehow number one contenders. I know the the, the records reset at the start of the year, but I'm, I don't think I've seen private party wrestle for a year, maybe in a, mm. in a straight up tag team match. It was some fun stuff. Matt's talking about the ass boys. Um, I hate that patter they're, so uh, much. They're jungle boys. I know who to blame, Housen, for that one. Jungle Boy's slagging off Cassidy's watch who he says, oh, it's not, it's not fake. Matt bought me this for Christmas and what have you. But when they said, well, we're here with the number one contenders, I audibly went, well, like Angela Page. What? <laughs> I, I, what did you make of this? Mid. So, so mid. And me and Cedric were discussing this a little bit before. Um, the fact that they've referenced the Gun Club in this promo is kind of disastrous because it does force you to go and check the rankings. They're like, private party at the top of the rankings. And then you're like, oh, yeah, and who's number two? The Gun Club. Where could this possibly go in? So it kind of renders the better of the two matches like less relevant because you know, well, you're pretty sure that's where they're going next because Billy Gunn commandeered a camera last week to <laughs> set up a match that's going to happen after this one. Look, I know what they're doing with the Jurassic Express, and I think there's an, I think it's, going to be a noble failure, which is to present them as the fighting champion babyfaces. It's not about um, particularly enthralling programs. It's about the longer story, which is that um, they took on everyone and won until they fought a team and they lost. And in that time, Jungle Boy had his own version of Darby Allen's trip with Cody Rhodes or Sammy Guevara's trip with Cody Rhodes, but you know, like the <laughs> Jungle Boy, MJF's like sort of gradual ascent through the company. This is Jungle Boy's version of that with a different belt and in a different way. So I like all that as the bigger picture, but too often AEW's bigger picture is the best bit and the weekly ain't so hot. And that is the problem here, I think. And that's why when Private Party and Matt Hardy came down the stairs, you're like, eh? Like it, it, just because you maybe know where it's good, just because one of these days, like... Jungle Boy is going to get thrown all over by the House of Black. It doesn't necessarily make that vision worth some of the sludge you've got to trudge through on the way. And that to me, like, they're using the rankings. I don't necessarily think that's such a bad thing. Like, the rankings reset it almost. When that's done creatively, it's like, look, you can sneak in through the back door. There is something to the gun club getting a title shot despite only being the gun club because that's almost like abuse of the rankings. But this was very much, hey, have you not been checking out Private Party? That's on you. I don't like being bollocks for not watching Dark and Dark Elevation yeah. or however the hell they've got to where they've got to. And that's kind of what it felt like. Th there's a balance that needs to be struck in terms of preserving your big matches and just goddamn doing them. <laughs> the... I had an epiphany the other week because I wrote a really great sentence. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, what's the it's, purpose? It's the ghost I say the most. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what's the point of having an incredible roster 
the best of the century, or at least the best since the very turn of the century, if it doesn't really interact with itself enough. Gun club, man. No. no. Red Dragon. <laughs> Please. Yeah. FTR at number four, aren't they? And that's the first team that you get to where it actually feels all-starry I, in that division. I totally get it. I'm not, I'm not a moron. I wrote a book, which you can buy at Amazon.co.uk or wherever you are living in, in the respective domain. Smaller bookshops that pay their taxes if it's available there. No, <laughs> Try them. It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's on Amazon. Go, go Amazon. Don't be a socialist at the ex- <laughs> at the de- to the detriment of my book. I don't, I'm a, you know, I'm a champagne one. I got it on a Kindle. Exactly. <laughs> Didn't even flick the pages. I understand how this thing works. You make the big matches feel premium. You keep the big acts protected. But at the same time, in doing that, you get this. And I'm bored senseless by this. It doesn't feel big. Like, we've had two years of this now. I've seen Young Bucks FDR once, saw Cody versus MGF once. I, I, he needs to be a little bit more gung-ho, a bit more adventurous in his booking, just Tony Khan. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful too for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. We then got uh, CM Punk coming out to address... Uh, Cleveland and presumably address uh, MJF. Uh, he comes out, he says, 
I'm here, I'm in the long boys, I'm dressed to fight after acknowledging, you know, a fantastic reaction from Cleveland as well. Uh, he gets the crowd for once, for the first time ever, I think he said, to chant MJF. And then he unzips his jacket and reveals uh, MJF's Burberry scarf that he stole last week. Uh, and he says, oh, yeah, I looked into this and I thought, oh, what a fancy scarf. And then I found out you can buy a 12-pack on Amazon for $5, which... I mean, I'll probably buy some of those if that's okay. <laughs> um, and he said, I looked into it as well, and this is made in Long Island. It's not made of strong material. Uh, but he says, look, I'm sick of talking. Um, let's get MJF out here. But let's be honest, we all know when he comes out, he isn't going to fight, even though I've run through every single person that I could fight in the pinnacle. Out comes MJF. Um, uh, he wants his music cut off, and so does CM Punk. Uh, the big You Suck chant, of course. Uh, and he does, he does the old... Who do want? Do you want to see me fight CM Punk tonight? I know I'm here in a suit, but who'd like to see me get changed <laughs> and go and fight him? I can't hear you. Who wants? Ah, bollocks! I'm not doing it. Um, <laughs> he riles them up even more. So he said, Are "You out of your mind? Yeah, I'm wasting one of the most historical matches on Cleveland. Uh, this place is disgusting. It's a cesspool. <laughs> so next week we're gonna get the match we want." In Chicago, it's CM Punk versus, and he paused and sort of scratched his chin at this point. And I fully bought on uh, the suggestion that he's going to say he was going to say Colt Cabana. But did they want you to think I he was going so. to say? Yeah, uh, the pause was because I was like, well, "There's no one else left." Because he did this in the exact same promo you mentioned a lot of like court stuff, mm. suing. Uh, but yeah, he did announce next week CM Punk versus MJF. Um, he said, look, whilst this match is no doubt going to be spectacular, unfortunately, the outcome is going to be quite upsetting because not only am I going to beat CM Punk in his hometown, MJF said, something quite unsettling is going to happen because people are going to finally see the real CM Punk, the one who loses his fake smile the second he doesn't get what he wants, the punk who blames all of his failures on everyone else but himself. Um, though he's more than willing to sue if he feels he hasn't got his just due. Um, he said the, the same hero who claimed that he left wrestling um, and uh, will come, come back and say he's, he's leaving wrestling again soon. Um, he'd never leave us again, though, right? He loves us. And didn't you all say that about LeBron James? And I was like, ah, Cleveland Cavaliers. I understood that reference. <laughs> um, he talked about Punk no-showing Cleveland in 2014 when he left WWE. Um, and he said, when I beat you, you're just going to go and cry about it on a podcast. Cry about it on this podcast if you want. We're number one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Punk responds, ah, you'll probably listen to it because you're a bloody mark. Uh, he says, the best thing, uh, these two things I'm going to say are true, but they are uh, they're mutually exclusive. Um, the best thing I ever did was leave, and the best thing I ever did was come back. He says he's never lied, but he'd rather be him and try and fail than be MJF and just never show up. Um, he said, look, MJ, if you used to pay to stand in line and see me to get my autograph, how you, how dare you try and put it on these people? I stand my decisions. I stand by these people. These people don't love me uh, because I win or hate me because I lose. They like, they love me because I get up and I try and I fight just like Cleveland. And MJF goes, oh, really? Let's test that real quick. And out comes the pinnacle. There's still a thing. <laughs> FTR and Wardlow, and I was thinking, all right, yeah, get out of the way. Where's the real star of the show? Ah, he's sneaking into attack punk in the ring, jumps him. They all beat him down. They twat him with the chair. They, like, hold him out, and, and FTR hold him out, and they, fucking have some of that, you prick. And uh, Wardlow's very sort of passive in all this, and his face is brilliantly expressive of just, like, oh, I'm not sure about all this, lads. And MJF pokes him in the chest and says, powerbomb. 
and I don't know how to put the how to describe the way he did it. I'm better than this. Yeah, then I know he it. went. Okay, I pays my bills. I suppose power bombs CM Punk not just into the ring but into the chair that is remaining in there, and MJF just a brilliant conclusion to it all. Doesn't just you know put his foot on MJF's uh, put his foot on CM Punk's chest or stand over him or anything. He sits on CM Punk cross-legged and says, it's very apropos that the same place your career started is where it's going to end. I'll see you, Punk, in Chicago. Do they goddamn book these cities? (laughs) Do they think about this with such an incredible amount of detail that they book these cities to tell these incredible stories? They don't. They just tell incredible stories and they think of every possible perspective from which to tell them. What I loved most about this promo, um, particularly on MJF's side of things, even though like CM Punk doing a sort of a big rallying cry is often so susceptible to being corny and earnest and cheesy. Hey, it's I'm, I'm the Midwest guy, not just Chicago. <laughs> he still got it over, so that was incredible. Punk's just ability to sell fury as well, man. Mm. But like, he's, it's, no wonder he tried to do film because he's an incredible actor, but just. MJF selling the very real gravity that, you know, he could actually lose here, which is phenomenal. The idea of them arriving at the idea of I was meant to be in Cleveland, what, seven years ago, eight years ago at this point. Let's use that. It was great because it felt like, oh, this guy's had a lowest ebb before, and MJF could be the guy to plunge him right down to those depths yet again. Just incredible storytelling and an absolutely gorgeous attention to detail. It was great to see the pinnacle do a heel spot. You know what else I loved about it is that Darby Allen and Sting didn't save him. Mm. Might consider that a plot hole, but at the end of the day, this roster's so big, and they've got a firmly established rule that everyone has an associate because when they have an associate, it allows you to not do the big singles match. That's just a staple of AEW's booking. But because everyone's got a mate, everyone gets saved, and everyone's a bastard with their bastard pals, they do run-ins, and it's like, it's so redundant. I love this departure from it, because sometimes a baby face just has to fight his own battles. And I loved the heat. God damn it. Oh, the, heat. the heat. CM Punk selling on that chair was like, yeah, it probably hurt, but it was just tremendous. Yeah. Absolutely tremendous. Wardlow's acting like, ordinarily when they do the wrestler fights associate of their principal rival. It's getting a little bit worn. It's getting a little bit cliched. Daniel Flynn did the Dark Order. Punk's doing the pinnacle. How they're dovetailing the storyline with the Wardlow and MGF breakup has made all of this, like, transcended what has become a trope because Wardlow, you'd like to think, is thinking, this guy beat me. I've got more respect for him to do this. He's not just, like, this guy I'm beating up. Like, he beat me. I kind of respect him. Mm-hmm maybe more than I do the guy who's paying my bills at this point. So the hesitation worked so wonderfully. It was informed by the fact that they had this really close match that Wardlow just lost. And he felt like, yeah, I'm going to take lick my wounds here. I respect this guy. I don't really want to do this to him because I've been in war with him. Just all of this is absolutely just transcendent pro wrestling storytelling. Tits. Yeah, it's tits. It's more tits than NXT 2.0 somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm running out of superlatives for this 
entire program, which is less than ideal when I'm privileged to get paid to talk about it week on week. It's I've felt this with a couple of their segments where I genuinely feel intimidated about talking about it on a podcast because it is just speaking so loudly for itself. It's absolutely marvellous. The Towns thing, I was on, like, I'd allow myself to forget that this is the exact same program where CM Punk was an awesome heel for a week and he reminded us in the, the reference to Long Island and he gets to be the Cleveland guy who has all these demons in this town and he's it's going to it's not going to end but it's going to peak in Chicago which is his town and uh, like the geography side of it shouldn't be understated uh, how brilliantly they've plotted and paced this because plotting and pacing has kind of been how this has worked so fantastically well CM Punk and MJF having all-time promo battles was the gimme yes there was pressure on them to actually deliver on expectations but it was the gimme of all of this the physical work has been exceptional CM Punk's selling of Wardlow's, like Wardlow here and Wardlow in the match has been fantastic. His confidence and like assuredness in the match with Sting and Darby Allen against FTR and against Sean Spears was vital because like he's basically shown MJF his weakest side while when it's a fair fight, showing that he beat him handily, which is the perfect chemistry for this eventual match. It's the perfect like seeds of doubt that you need to cast in a guy wrestling what, at his career best currently, in the prime of his career, all, like, all that confidence that he has has been diminished by what he's actually seen from CM Punk's highs and his lows over the course of the physical end of this feud. So I want to, like, it's it's hard to isolate praise for a single segment, as fantastic as this was, without everything that has fed into it and mm. the timing of it and the way it's all been laid out. The fact that they've folded in, which we've been, like, full of praise of for weeks, how they've like folded in the Wardlow stuff into what is otherwise the biggest program in AEW is what makes AEW so great. Like at no point in their biggest angles, if you went back and looked at all of them, I bet this was the case in every single one. I bet every single top line AEW angle has also hit another one mm -hmm. in plain sight. And that's what makes AEW so great. And that's what like, that's the levels to this and where they are above WWE in terms of telling stories in wrestling. Um, Punk's performance, particularly when he gets fired up, never... Uh, Total contrast to the Inner Circle match never feels fake. Like every, we've talked about this in, as relation to Colt Cabana, right? Every Colt Cabana reference, if it ever comes up, or every allusion to it, which happened here, is agreed upon. You know, they're not out there shooting cowboy. Like this is a this is a work, and yet CM Punk is the guy that takes you away from all that. CM Punk reacts in the way that makes you feel like he needs to swing for the guy to get this out of his system. That's so powerful. That's so evocative. It reminds you of why why Money in the Bank 2011 happens as it does. Why those reactions in Chicago are so real and visceral and why he sells millions of t-shirts and ice cream bars. It's because he connects. He's, he hits different CM Punk. Um, MJF's delivery. Like, there's no excuse in 2022 to still get that kind of reaction for, do you want me to fight him tonight? Like, that takes work. Like, and, like, he got that, and he deserves immense credit for that as well. Uh, I feel like there was one more thing I wanted to mention, but there was just so much I loved about it mm. that, like, I'm, I'm not going to get it all out. Uh, oh, yeah, that was what it was, because I forgot to put it over and on. It takes idiocy or gumption to, like, directly lift a rock T-shirt design, and Sean Spears has got both. Yes! <laughs> Identical font, like that Just Swing It T-shirt. Like, I'm amazed, Will Bond, you haven't already placed your order, because you've got <laughs> your current favourite guy aping your previous favourite guy. Yeah. Like, it's like CM Punk getting, like, a Hitman 316 shirt made in, like, the pink Austin 316 font all at the same time, with the fists coming out the side, <laughs> and on the back saying, I also like Serena Deep. Like, I just saw, like, Bailey's also good too, in brackets. Like, I just saw that, and I was like, well, that's absolutely perfect. Only Sean Spears. Like, that, that was the one other thing. Like, he managed to sort of, like, draw focus. Was, like, remember the pinnacle? Remember the feeling when they formed? And you were like, Jesus Christ, AEW was on notice. It wasn't, but it felt like it was, like CM Punk was. <laughs> that was the other thing. 
Um, MJF, yes, the cross-legged thing was obviously about CM Punk, but mimicking Kenta as Wrestle Kingdom teabagging it on the guy that first stole the go to sleep. Yeah. Nice, that. Nice. One for Kenta. Who, by the way, we need to extend our apologies to, because when we were talking about last year's beach break, as pointed out to Twitter, <laughs> we completely forgot that he smashed open the forbidden door and beat up John Moxley. So, like, kudos and flowers well, to Kenta. too good. It's too good. <laughs> uh, and yet, this wasn't even the best promo on the show, because that came next. The acclaimed were not happy <laughs> with John Moxley. Um, they said, whenever we face you, you've always had to cut corners, jumping jumping us before the bell, or jumping Max before his match, or whatever it is. Look, everyone's happy that he's back, but... He's going to face Bowens on Friday, and they're going to get some revenge. I got Hamlet, Oscar Kokoschka looking ass. I popped absolutely huge for this. Who's Oscar Kokoschka? Oscar Kokoschka is a character from the glorious Nicktoon Hey Arnold, and I want to. Oh yeah. And I want to isolate Hey Arnold for praise because of all the Nicktoons that they could have. They could have been. He's <laughs> Moxley. They could have inferred. Like the lookalike is is great, but um, that's like the elite tier. Tier Nick Toon um, against all the rest, like a kids' show that kind of talked about the like difficult class system of New York City. Quite amazing. They all went to PS one eighteen. There was like kids from all like sectors of New York's like diverse and rich society, and it's being beamed to some idiot kids in England that you can vote for on Watch Your Own Wednesday on Nickelodeon. It just Oscar Koshka like hit me in a way that I wasn't expecting. Loved it. I'll fire up a bit of hair Arnold when I get home. I think. Big football head. <laughs> yeah, uh, Tony D'Angelo in it. <laughs> uh, we get a... Uh, and by, sorry, Bowens and Moxley. We were talking yesterday. Who's the guy that you put in the way of Moxley and Brian Anderson? Anthony Bowens. Sublime. They've, like, they've done it again. He is the exact person on that roster of many to fill that spot. So he eat I was, a pin and he's getting better every time he's in the ring. So no, I was going to say the acclaimed when we were yeah, talking about yeah, yesterday. Like, <laughs> I forgot and now uh, I just look like you know, a load of bollocks. Yeah, um, uh, Sounds to me like that was a work. Uh, Griff Garrison, Julia Hart are backstage. Uh, they're talking about the House of Black. And they get interrupted of course because it's AW. Um, <laughs> Mark Sterling shows up. He's making Julia Hart sign a waiver because of... I can't remember what he said, said, whether he said the eye stuff or whatever it is, or the eye patch stuff. Thanks, like, thanks for listening. Something along those lines, but it, it tickled me. Uh, he made, made a sign of waiver because she's facing Jade Cargill for the TBS Championship on Rampage. Griff Garrison tries to tell her not to do it. He needs to t- time to heal, time to recover, etc. She says, no, I can fight my own battles. Yep. Set up a match. I mean, I don't care. It's fun to like think about what Jade Cargill's going to do to her. Get her in the house. Get her in the house of black. Like that's where this you should have. Clip of her in the house of black promo later as well. Uh, what I, in the? Have I remembered this? I don't know. I saw a quite a funny bit. Somebody had um, put together a supercut of it was either in being the elite or Sammy's vlog of her selling that she can't see out of the eye. So it's like she was just walking at the doors and she went in the wrong toilets and things like that. <laughs> they, they were having fun with it, but I'm assuming that's not canon as relates to the house of black. Like maybe she's supposed to be taking this really seriously. Yeah, like no. I said, Bliss's journey back to Raw is. Taking a short amount of time <laughs> than Julia Hart's journey to the House of Black. Yeah. She's been corrupted because she's the innocent looking Julia. I get it, just do it. Wasn't about being you, Julia. It's about making you go in the wrong toilets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, next up, it was uh, Red Velvet versus Legit Layla Hirsch. And God bless the United States. <laughs> <laughs> still, still makes me laugh. Apologies to Layla Hirsch because she's mint, but Hirsch. Right there. Sounds the same. 
So they fight immediately uh, before the bell. Red Velvet's desperate to get her hands on her for what Layla Hirsch has done before, of, of course. But uh, uh, Velvet hits Hirsch with a drop kick, goes for the final slice, but Hirsch rolls out, uh, eventually starts beating Velvet down. Uh, Velvet fights back, knee lift, cut her over the ropes. She goes for that triangle hold, uh, but Hirsch powers out of it and sort of buckle bombs her and goes after Velvet's shoulder. She takes off the tape and she targets it during the break. Uh, Velvet hits a springboard stunner to make a comeback, double knees to Hirsch's back, uh, spears her, gets a two count, uh, but Hirsch then counters the final slice, hits a power bomb, hits a knee strike. She's got the match won. This infuriated me, and I know this is going to be quite divisive. She's got the match won, and then, because of the shoulder stuff, she stops pinning her, transitions into an arm bar, but Velvet can get her foot on the ropes for a break. Then they have to do this cradle exchange. Uh, Hirsch grabs onto Velvet's tights and steals the victory, cheating, which makes a lot of sense that you're going to talk about Hamflet. Uh, and then post-match, she uh, puts her back in the arm bar. She won't let it go until Chris Statlander runs down to make the save. On the match... I'm starting to think that uh, AEW's reaping what they're sowing with their marginalization of the women's division because good work is, at this point, like nearly invariably just ignored by a, an audience that's decided, ah, oh, it's just the women's match then. Mm. Yeah. It's the Dungeon of Doom waterfall every week, isn't it? Yeah. And it's not, Serena Deeb out there and she's having to like, she has to fight really in that first couple of minutes hard. to get that reaction. And, you know, I thought this warranted a reaction. I generally think the big picture of how the audience has been slowly, insidiously trained to receive women's wrestling in this promotion is more of a reflection on the atmospheres that receive a match like this in the work itself. Because without being a banger, there's still moments where I thought people could have ood and aahed over mm. some of Layla Hirsch's just beautiful transitions, just the ability to grab any kind of limb that's in the vicinity, like a laser focus, like a deadly laser focus. Zack Sabre Jr. was in as a guest doing that. He'd be getting those reactions. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. So it's a goddamn shame because I thought Lila Hirsch's heel work was tremendous. Like, it just generally felt like they were having an actual fight. Mm. And it didn't um, expose Red Velvet as someone who's often a little bit too eager to please. But it was a short, tidy storytelling match that I thought functioned effectively for me. But it was just a, a yet another downer when you see, um, or rather don't hear, the reaction mm. to it. Um, I'm just going to take a little walk. And I want to see if something gets picked up on camera. It's got a bit. Okay. What's this? Does this get picked up? She's opening a door and shutting it. I don't think, I'm not sure if people can hear that. I'm just opening the forbidden door there to criticise Jim Ross all over again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> At the post-match, um, when Layla Hirsch... And God bless the United States. ...just continues her attack, yeah. Chris Dallander makes a save. Lila Hirsch retreats. Chris Statlander goes to follow her and then stares her down instead. Jim Ross, who didn't do this during the CM Punk MGF segment, he didn't say, well, <laughs> he said during the segment, what is a magical wall? Yeah, he called out the fact that they'd used the invisible wall. They did that earlier in the night, effectively, with mm. Punk, who couldn't wait to beat up MGF. And this is just wrestling. It's just how it works sometimes, mm. even though I'm not the biggest fan of it. Why did he do it then? Why, yeah. did, why did he do it here? And these, these women are constantly battling the booking. Yeah. Two years' worth of booking that, for the good and the bad, people take seriously over the course of time. Why do you mention magical walls? <laughs> 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 They're struggling enough. They get enough bollocks to contend yeah. with. Now you've got your, the, the, the authoritative, authoritative voice of the promotion just burying the segment. 
What, we argued no. about the finish on this, didn't we? I thought it was dumb, and you quite liked it. Still respect Jim Ross, and I sim- and I, I I hate that you had to go through what he's gone through recently. Yeah. But you know, Jesus, still Christ. criticize. Oh yeah, it's, that's yeah. It's you can you know analyze his work. I think um, after the Daddy Boys exploded in the opener, we're doing the big handshake, and we're back together on this one because I agree 100 percent with what Cedric said. A match that was way better than the, what the crowd were giving it. Um, I said I like the finish this morning, Wilborn, and you knocked me clean out. Uh, we had such a disagreement over it. I thought it was... I get, I get what you said. I thought it was really cool. So the whole point I made yesterday was that, like, as a babyface, Layla Hirsch would always try and polish her opponent off with something pretty cool. She likes that um, double jump moonsault yeah. in particular, and it always failed, and she always fell a little bit short. So she instead went about with the other... She didn't leave her feet. She went to destroy her with a ground game and then went to do the cruel thing, again, like borrowing from someone like a Serena D. Like, how can I inflict more punishment than just finish somebody off? But Red Velvet has got more than just those jobbers that Serena Deeb destroyed, so she's made the ropes. Uh, Hirsch, then, that would be the point, typically, when she would go at the top rope and it would go wrong. What does she do? Rolls her up, pulls the tights, cheats. It's a different Layla Hirsch, and I think that was I think that was inserted in there because typically everything we've seen from Layla Hirsch yes. is, right, time to do the flashy sh- and she's changed. Her mentality has completely changed, and I thought that was really nice. You... Like knocked me out and called me a fool and kicked me while I was down. It was, it was, but it was good. Like I, I admired your passion for how much you didn't like this finish. Yeah, I'm like I'm a huge, huge fan of Layla Hirsch. Um, and God bless the United States. And not just because, <laughs> but I get that and I completely understand the grabbing. I did no issue with the grabbing of the tights for the finish. Mm. Don't have the bit before it. That's why I'd say no, I don't keep the armbar if you want, mm. but don't have her hit a knee strike where she's got her pinned. She's beaten her. Or at the bare minimum, make Red Velvet kick out. What annoyed me is she went, knee strike, bloody hell, that's knocked her out. One, two, actually bollocks, I'm going to transition to the armbar. I just thought it was a really bad bit of booking. because you No, got, dear, that's wrong. I just, <laughs> I, just, I just thought it was it was just it really dumb because if she's this, you know, great ground game and stuff, she's really close to the ropes there. Mm. Like, and, and if she's out cold, she doesn't know to put her foot on the ropes. If you give her time and then put the armbar on, she goes, oh, bloody hell, armbar, I'm very close to the ropes here. I just thought it made her look really stupid and it overcomplicated a finish that I would have liked. That's fair enough. I, like, I, I do get where you're coming from. I actually thought there was an element where, and you said the opposite there, so that's interesting. I thought a lot of that was to protect Red Velvet because she's a level above the type of, like, Leila Hirsch was always going to win this. Yeah. But this wasn't wrestler versus designated job but this was more than that and I thought that was that was part of that like Red Velvet's got way more guile about her mm. and I thought they were trying to suggest that and like I don't want to use the word protect because WWE ruined everything but mm-hmm. that was like I thought there was an element of that in that finish I dare say if the division was over and the wrestlers were more over that might have come across from the noise in the crowd as yeah. well like sometimes you need the people in the seats to yeah. react to what they're being shown uh, then we got a video promo from the House of Black. Uh, he talked about Brody King, the embodiment of conflict and violence, and uh, Brody King steps out of the darkness and says that Pac's going to be humbled. Uh, death Triangle going to feel true pain. It's just like death. We are inevitable. Dreaded. Run from... Oh, no, that was... Sorry, I'm... Yeah, <laughs> um, find this. Yeah, just a slightly spooky... Uh, well, poetic way of saying we're just going to kill people. Mm. Mm. This is the bit where I thought I saw Julia Hart, but maybe, I don't know, maybe I've right. just remembered it. Like a flash of uh, uh, someone in an eye patch. I can't remember. I'm going to have to go back and watch it and see if... There is a line... <laughs> there is a line that Malachi Black 
can't see. Maybe he's got some toxic juice in his eyes. But there's a line that he can't see, so sometimes he steps over it, sometimes he's well before it, and sometimes he walks right up to it. I think this was walking right up to it. So this absolutely preserves that these are basically just two hard lads. Um, two hard lads who like metal and uh, horror. Yeah, absolutely. I not. like this. Yeah, I w- like these. Since, since Brody King turned up, I'm like, Brody hey, King. Hang on. That's, I'll tell you what I thought. How's the black? Hey, 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 <laughs> hey. You are right. <laughs> Bro- Brody King like walked out of the shadows. He didn't magic out of a genie's lamp or something. That's like uh, that's the difference that I think Malachi Black sometimes doesn't think remotely about, and that's why so some segments work and some don't. This one worked. I just have to rewatch it just in case there was a clip of Julia Hart, who of course has got something in her. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Britt Baker came out next. What's she got in her eye? These nuts. <laughs> <laughs> not mine. Not mine. Just you know, someone's. We said this before. Every year, the uh, there's a the, some British podcast award that we should have won six times over by now. But you can nominate any podcast you want, mm-hmm. and part of this, it's a bit of a why rig- not this? It's a, everybody should nominate this every time it comes up. It's a bit of a rigged racket, the old podcast yeah. game, because you like people submit their own podcast stuff to get voted. It's not just this like magic like public vote. It's not a full democracy. I can think now of two isolated clips that I would submit to the panel, and both of them involve that goddamn D's nuts button. Is it or is it not a good reflection of what we put out five days a week? I don't even know anymore. If we don't win an award this year, you've got to say the British Podcast Awards will definitely have some on their face. (laughs) 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 Right, let's get back to Dynamite uh, because we had a Brit Baker promo. Uh, She's got all the PWI awards there. Um, Tony, she want to introduce her. She comes down full Pittsburgh get up. This, I'll, I'll say this right now. Often this sort of stuff isn't for me, and this really wasn't for me because it was just Britt Baker winding up the the uh, people of Cleveland with lots of local sports-based references, which I did. I got it. I'm a vague sort of American football fan. Go Colts! But it's like Cleveland Browns, Pittsburgh Steelers. We be you. Your quarterback's crap or whatever it was, and that's all I felt that it was here. Well, I, Maybe it's just, again, my WWE brain where I was like, cool, when's the interruption coming? When's someone coming out to have a fight with her and set up her next feud or whatever? Look, she made, made great points. She talked about the insane, insane year she had. She talked about making it a Brit-topia, I think it was. Um, she created this women's division. She's the face of AEW. You know, she's she's main-evented shows, etc. Um, um, she said she basically wasn't going to stop until, until, until she's the female of the decade. I, ju- I very much was just like... Cool, so that happened. Uh, yeah, I'm going to feel like such an absolute hypocritical prick here. But it's just like, sometimes I've said, in fact, several times I've said, this uh, program is episodic to a fault. This is not remotely episodic, and I was like, get to the point. Mm. <laughs> what this was, was she wants some awards, they want to market this. Good. <laughs> she loved this Baker line, and it was very, very good. But it wasn't quite good enough to write, like, a five-minute promo around. Yeah. Like, it was a really good line. I thought, oh, that's why I've done this. Like, it was, didn't really serve a purpose, which, again, sometimes a heel can just come out and say, I'm the goddamn best, and they can just exist as something that happens. But this wasn't a very good vehicle with which to say I'm the best. It was just a bit long. Yeah, I thought Nola Rose's promo was much better, and it took 20 seconds. Yeah, an actual thing that felt like an interruption. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a hypocrite as well because I kind of praise CM Punk for for this, and I was begging for an interruption. So uh, it's it's just like exposing how wrestling can be this way. Sometimes there are some things that suit situations more than others. Um, yeah, this was all 
Oddly enough, I think this is going to represent a real key chapter point in, if not Thunder Rosa, Britt Baker's revolution match. It probably should be with Thunder Rosa. But it just felt like somebody gets so arrogant and confident that they have stopped respecting the competition and it brings about their downfall. Mm. And this was like a, a great, like especially like decorated with loads of awards, completely irrelevant local sports stuff, just to just to lord it over people for the sake of it, almost as if to say, I have got nothing left to do. I think, Sidri, you mentioned it yesterday, the idea of beating Chris Statlander, if they'd have gone with that, would have been, well, I've, I've lapped everyone. Yeah. This was a way to do that without like directly acknowledging somebody, which again, Thunder Rose, that's quite smart because she doesn't want to. Like that's actually a spectre. In Britt Baker's record, it's not something it's that just she... just in the subtext, he was genius. Well, maybe. It just didn't... It just felt yeah. entirely essential watching it. This is what I mean. Like, if you if you imagine that Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker is booked for Revolution and then they have a video package, this is at the start of it. It's Britt Baker. So yeah. I've cleared out the division. Here's my awards. Like, I'm still not getting enough flowers. And I'm, getting, I'm getting loads of flowers and I want even more. And then she won't acknowledge that the one person that beat her at the beginning of all this yeah. could have had a number the entire time. One little... Side note to this, like, I don't mean to be alarmist for people that loved this act and loved something that they were clearly doing. Where's Rebel and Jamie Hayter? Yeah. Because there's been a few weeks of this now, and I appreciate the Adam Cole thing was for that purpose, but they could have been with her then too. It's weird as well. I just, I just, I just wouldn't have done this at all, mm. even though that Baker line was really, really good. Um, one, I wouldn't have put the most improved trophy out there. Mm. Oh, eh. That just didn't look good. She had plenty of others to brag about. I wouldn't have had Britt Baker in incredible peacocking confidence mode look perfectly healthy ahead of a match that was made because her boyfriend was so upset by how bad she got last week. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. That's a really good point. Oh, I'm full of them. <laughs> well, like I said, this was followed after they ran through, what, well, they were running through what's coming up on the next few shows. Um, and uh, yeah, Nyla Rose comes out and just fumes on the mic. Uh, Vicky Rose does the whole excuse me thing. And she says, Look, I'd, I'd be TBS champion if it wasn't for Ruby Soho and a fluke victory. Next week, I won her in a match. Good, simple stuff, gets the job done. I always assume that the, um, the Goldberg run itself that I expect uh, Jade Cargill to have was going to be what baby-faced her. I think it's going to be a Goldberg run and beating Nyla Rose that's going to baby-face her because Nyla Rose seems nailed on to be the challenger you actually might think might dethrone yes. Jade Cargill. When she doesn't get it done, there's going to be no choice but to be like, Jesus Christ, not only has Jade Cargill come on, she's also like, I, I want to love this character. They're doing a Soho versus Rose in Chicago because Soho's from Chicago. Isn't oh, she? She, uh, she is. She got that massive response that... Um, She's loved there. I know that she got that. Yeah, she's loved there, even uh, if she's not from there. So Soho gets to beat Nyla Rose. Well, just forget everything I said then. <laughs> back to the uh, back to the old rotation for Nyla Rose, who's awesome yeah. whenever she gets five Brilliant. seconds of television. <laughs> uh, right, looks like it's time for it. Well, looks like we've had enough. Lights. It's time <laughs> for the main event. It's an unsanctioned lights out match. You've got bad news. Well, looks like we've had enough talk. Well, she's from Michigan. Ah, they just. She was. Uh, maybe it's going to be all right. They just popped huge for. I mean, I'd rather have neither rules win at this point. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, so it was the unsanctioned. She just has rancid as a theme tune. No, she's good, but she's not from Chicago. No, that's a big Chicago thing, isn't it? Uh, unsanctioned lights out match Adam Cole versus Orange Cassidy. 
tell Orange Cassidy's taking this seriously, comes out and he crushes his sunglasses <laughs> like Tony Schwartz. We've never seen him do that with his sunglasses <laughs> to start the match. Big brawl to start us off. Uh, they trade right hands, they go out to the floor. Uh, Orange Cassidy sends Cole into the barricade and hits that hands in pockets, shotgun drop kick. Cole fights back though and goes under the ring to get a chair and pulls out and guess who's attached to it but the one and only... Dan Housen, who is now apparently All Elite. Let's just pause that there. What do you reckon to Dan Housen being All Elite before we continue with this match? Um, I don't really care either way about Dan Housen. Like, I don't understand the fascination with the Dan Housen character. It's not my thing. I don't resent it for being your thing. Um, it's, it's all a bit uh, twee. I know it's not twee because he's like a tooth-collecting demon-adjacent, impish guy with a sense of humour. But I just feel like it's a bit cute. And uh, it's just not for me. Uh, people can have it if they want. It's a strategic good move. He's going to sell them loads of merchandise. He's going to be a bit part character who does the odd thing that will pop you at times. I'm not bothered. I will say this. He did get a snap, crackle, and huge bap. <laughs> <laughs> Right there. <laughs> <laughs> all caps as well. Got to remember this one. Got to remember this. <laughs> Can't blow my cereal joke. Hmm. Yeah, I'm with Sidgwick, and why would it not be with the uh, same age, same wrestling fan profile? Um, like, I'm confused at how he got over. It, it stri- I saw he was grafted for this. Jesus Christ. Yeah, he's really worked it's for almost him. Almost like felt made Tony Khan. Feel guilty for not signing him? Yeah. Look, I'm pretty much part of the roster. I don't <laughs> to get the check out and on. I'm not all your wrestlers and meet and greet. Like, uh, I saw this kind of thing go down well with teenagers. Like when, like me and Sidgwick were 17, 18, You know, I don't know how it's gotten over now. The kids are way cooler than we were. Like they're way more into things that I will never possibly be able to like understand. TikTok. I, I just, I don't know how. Dan How- but it, I don't know how it's worked, but it has, right, with Dan Housen. Um, I have. I like Al- Mineral, and they like TikTok, so don't tell me that they're... <laughs> <laughs> Almost zero knowledge of if you can go, but I'm reliably, yeah, inf- I'm reliably informed that, and I'm not going to name names, but if you look on Twitter or you speak to the right people, that you can't. So I bought a Discord records top. Don't tell me that these TikTok kits are cooler than that. Where I. the kids just use Discord now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't know. I, it was it was the right signing. The second he got that response, the second he got his name chanted, because AEW have to, at very least, have the finger on the pulse. Like That's like kind of a minimum expectation of all elite wrestling, if only to be the rival to WWE. So that response immediately justified the signing. Well, no, it justified the appearance. Will it justify the signing? Yeah. We have to wait. If anything... And I think Orange Cassidy is evidence of this. Those characters have to be, like, used with a certain delicacy on, like, weekly television wrestling. And will Very Nice, Very Evil be funny in six weeks? More importantly, will the thirst for him to get this platform he deserves be as strong? Is anybody now that bothered? And this is not a dig at this wrestler. Is anybody... Tweeting either of you two Fuego about Fuego Dossal. Fair. Because yeah. they're not me, right? And that was all we got. 
for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And I love that the graft can get people this opportunity. This goes all the way back to frigging Warhorse getting a TV match in a pandemic. Really cool that this is what AEW is. I'm not saying Dan Housen's or what. There might be more to this. I don't know. Like, I, this is the opposite of, uh, what was it on, like, SmackDown? I was like, you know, tell me what I'm missing about Sma- about SmackDown that still gets it praise. I, I don't want you to tell me what I'm missing about Dan Housen because I'm told it all the time, and I just, I don't think it's going to cut through, but it cuts through with enough people. He's going to sell a load of T-shirts or he's going to do whatever he, you know. Fair's fair. Like, I said the same thing when um, Cardona originally got signed. Like, I've got no interest in watching him again. I think pro wrestling's passed by the guy who got over in 2011, but Jesus Christ, he got over once, and he was completely watched give him a chance mm. Dan Housen's grafted give him a chance no, I don't really care Chris Jericho's found his next feud that's for sure <laughs> uh, right anyway so also this- sorry actually before we move on to the match although this does sort of come in at the end of it as well I'm mixed on like spoiler I didn't really like this match but I'm mixed on the use of Dan Housen here I think they were intending to make this lights out thing feel different because they were worried about how it would be compared to the lights out matches I think that this was, was an, like a tell for me it was an ineffective way to tap you on the shoulder and make it look the way, saying different lines. It's not going to be as violent as the one. Measure your expectations. I don't think it worked in that regard. I think all it did was make people pop at Danhausen. Uh, well, it not only threw us off on this podcast, but it threw off the uh, competitors because Orange Cassidy suddenly came out of nowhere with a DDT, uh, having been as confused as Adam Cole, basically, <laughs> with the whole Danhausen thing as he poses and, and, and then walks up the ramp. Um, Cole recovered, though, pump kick through a chair. He goes to the Panama Sunrise, but uh, Orange counters it and puts him through the table with a spine buster, tries to follow it up with the Orange Punch, but Cole's grabbed the ring bell and smashes Orange Cassidy's hand with it, which would factor Great into, spot, I would just yeah, like to say. Lovely touch, that. Um, targets his hand throughout the commercial, uh, although Orange shoots some fire extinguisher at him to get a bit of space in amongst all that. They've got the chain in the ring. Uh, they're sort of both pulling at it, trying to trying to grab it and use it. Uh, Cole hit the uh, Ushiguroshi, gets a two count, tries to set some chairs up, tries to put Orange through the chairs, but Orange counters it with a uh, stun dog millionaire uh, and a Mishinoku driver through the chairs for a two count. And they focus in on the blood that's now seeping from Orange Cassidy's hand, uh, who runs into a super kick and Cole waves to the back. And you think, wow, which one of the which one of the super click are we getting? Oh, it's Brandon Cutler. Uh, out he comes. Uh, which <laughs> He's was, funny. It was quite, yeah, it was a lovely touch, that, in terms of like, come on, guys, come on. He's out there with this spray. I'm here, Adam, I'm here. <laughs> well, except he obviously gets taken out by Wheeler Utah, then uh, Bobby Fish takes out Utah, then Chuck Taylor takes out Bobby Fish, and then the Young Bucks come down uh, after Bobby Fish has been chucked into the barricade by um, Chuck Taylor, uh, hit him with a double super kick. They go to hit a triple super kick alongside Cole on Orange Cassidy, uh, but uh, Rapongi Vice come out and stop them, and Orange hits the beach break and the Orange Punch on Adam Cole, but the Orange Punch with the damaged hands means that he can't make the cover. As uh, Orange Cassidy standing there and recovering, Cole low blows him. And Orange Cassidy completely no-sells it to reveal he's wearing a cup covered in thumbtacks. Uh, and uh, Cole is writhing around off the back of this. Orange Cassidy, this is the moment where I started going, oh, yep, you've got me wanting Orange Cassidy to win. Orange Cassidy hits a Panama sunrise to get a near fall. He, uh, he wraps the chain around his hand and Cole bails out there, goes to the backstage area. The lead singer Nickelback's there. Uh, sorry, Jerry Lynn's there. Um, <laughs> Uh, and uh, he's sort of used as a distraction to allow Cole to, a bit of interference. We're quite close to Tony Khan as well. Nine feet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, goal pots are orange through the, the go position table where they, the two men have been sitting. Um, they go back out onto the stage. Uh, Cole hits a super kick, goes to lower the boom, but Orange Cassidy super kicks him himself, goes to the chain assisted orange punch, uh, but Cole grabs one of those huge lights that they use on the stage and hits him with it. Uh, and Cole decides it's not enough to just finish him off here to lower the boom on the stage. He's uh, he's going to climb up on top of the uh, the staging. Uh, and he does so, but in the time it's taken him to, to get up on behind the sort of video boards and what have you, Orange Cassidy's nowhere to be seen. Cole's asking the ref where he's gone. Orange Cassidy appears behind him. Um, low blows Adam Cole. And this is the bit where I went, go on then! Hugs him. Look over the side. Where Cole's like, first of all, don't hug me. And second of all, no, what are you doing? And he jumps, takes Cole with him off the stage, through the stage, covers him, one, two, three, Orange Cassidy wins lights out, Michael Sidgwick. Yeah, your reading was better than the match, I think. Mm, really good reading. Because I really liked the spot from which um, Cole took control, the bell to the punch. Very unusual. That was really good. I was just totally blindsided by the tone. And its I don't think it's my, when you say, oh, the match should have been the way I booked it, because I wanted the full Muta, Dustin Rhodes, Vince McMahon, Survivor Series 2003, like that jam on his face, mm. bleeding so much because that's oh, Aaron Chastity, the guy giving the most he's ever cared in this match. So I was f- blindsided by the fun and breezy quasi-comedy tone. They try to balance the tone mm-hmm. of it because it's a goddamn lights-out match and they set a precedent of this is the most violent step that you're going to see in modern North American wrestling, like the most violent wrestling of the century, basically. Because even by 2000, WWE steps were a little bit like, yeah, just blindsided by the tone. Danhausen, I think, was very much, if we're going to debut him here, let's debut him in a match that will allow people to realize, oh, hang on, we're not going to see a double juice. But I still kind of thought, I just, the tone of it was not bad in itself, given the, the story of the feud and whatnot and the players involved, but I just, it was hard to get involved, so I was kind of like, oh, Where's, where's the gore? I, I want to see some gore. <laughs> there were elements of the match that I liked. Look, this was the baby face prevailing over the heel. It's a baby. It's a wrestling tale as old as time. The way they arrived at that with the intended nut shot and the retribution for all of the other nut shots, yeah. all very nicely done. I enjoyed the absurdity of the hug being a finisher at the same time, even though I think they might have thought it was funnier than it actually was because it took ages registering the punchline, I thought. It's a bit awkward, this. Just just, just bump him. Just, <laughs> just beat him. Um, but there was just a certain energy lacking throughout that. It's disjointed, unfair. No, I don't. I, I, the, the, and expectations, I think you're right, yeah. It wasn't just the expect, like, it was just, well, I got whiplash out of the place. I was like, right, I'm not going to get blood. I will attempt to disregard everything they told us about these matches and get into what this actually is. And even then, I just thought, I would have thought they would have relished the opportunity of really putting this together, and it was good, just not great. It's funny you mentioned Nickelback, because I thought this was too bland. Um, <laughs> it wasn't so much expectations of violence, it was expectations of creativity that weren't met for me. The cup and the finish aside, I think there was anywhere near enough exploration of what these characters could do to each other with circumstances laid out, you know. But then I don't think the story's been particularly 
that textured either. I think all of this has been a bit too lazy for my liking. Adam Cole and Orange Cassidy is the exact sort of thing that you'd be pinching yourself talking about in 2019. You know, when they're both on different shows and Orange Cassidy is just peaking as this incredible television, like, like star in the making. Uh, and we get here and it's way too much for Plunderball. I, look, I'm not, I was never even a massive fan of um, Moxley and Omega in Lights Out. And I like that far much more through watching this because I thought this was that much of a... this. I, I found that to be like a very impressive plunder brawl, but a plunder brawl nonetheless. And I don't hold plunder brawls in hugely high regard. This was a pretty boring plunder brawl. And it's, it hasn't honestly made me respect the... like Not the original, but the AEW original far more than this. They weren't particularly violent. They weren't hugely creative, save for certain spots. They were... The Danhausen thing registered exactly the same to me got to receive this differently now. I have to look at this differently mm. as a result. Maybe not everybody will take it that way, but that's certainly how I did. Um, yeah, it didn't... Maybe it was the um, natural payoff to this feud because this feud hasn't, mm. like, scaled the heights that it might have done on paper. The The point about how long they lingered on the hook maybe sums it all up because maybe they always thought all of the... The mixed tag was the same. You always thought all of this was going to be slightly more spectacular than it was right through at the end. And yesterday I predicted Orange Cassidy would win. And both of you said, like, it can't be. Did you feel afterwards that it could be? Yes. Uh, this is the point where I, I was going to say, I, I went in, not with the lights out stipulation so much at the front of my mind, but with the arms folded, you can't beat your number one contender for a world championship match. And and then, we fantasy put this in our heads. Yeah. That, uh, so that should not go unmentioned. Mm. But even if that isn't the direction, like Adam Cole coming from NXT... Should be losing this early. He's been in there a while, I guess. And again, he's and he the, is fighting the, for the title. And he's not, not on the records and blah, blah, blah. We don't know that. No, no, they haven't told us outright yet. Well, they sort of did in the commentary. And yeah. him saying he was number one New Year. I'm going to have the biggest yeah. year ever. He was he was as good as setting up yeah. the page match. And then... I mean, the, I fantasy we did four months ago. So I'm, <laughs> I'm doubting myself. I'm doubting yeah. myself. I think, I, th- I think, yeah, I went in going... You ha- you, their job in this match is not to match all the lights out contests. It's to make me want Orange Cassidy to win because he's the baby face. I love Adam Cole. But, um, deserved this, and the, the yeah. characters deserved this. The plunder. Um, I talked about Deadman in the ladder match. This isn't the first time we've had this conversation slash complaint about AEW. The reliance on plunder's a bit of a problem. I should be more excited about a Texas Deathmatch World Heavyweight title. But we've just had a lights out match on the same show as a ladder match, and we're never more than like a fortnight away from something equally violent. It's. It's like, I'm not, this is not me doing a sort of think of the children like thing. It's more of a <laughs> think of how boring it's getting. <laughs> maybe, you know, I've just thought, well, maybe what it was, why I enjoyed this more. Do you ever have that thing where someone like, I don't know, uh, fancies a girl or something and uh, gets rejected by her and then seems to start dating people who look a bit like a sort of thing? <laughs> maybe my anger at the lack of cup stuff with uh, Styles Nakamura all those years ago <laughs> has made me go, any cup stuff's brilliant. Cardona, this, one final beat. Oh, it's, it's got cup stuff, it's fantastic. So maybe that's what it is. Dinner with the Garganos. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Uh, well, let us know your thoughts. I've been fascinated to know uh, what you guys think about this this match, the opener of the whole show, in fact. Uh, let us know on, on Twitter, at WhatCultureWWE. Watch, they can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflet at... Michael Hamflet. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Um, Sidgwick. As you can as you can still get his uh, book, as he said as well, at 
Amazon if you want to go and grab, you, grab that. It's fantastic. Becoming page. All Elite, the rise of AEW. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. Uh, we'll be back later on today to an extended preview of the Royal Rumble. But for now, this has been the AEW Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. 